Chapter 13 of Max by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 13. To the zest of the amateur, Blake added knowledge of a practical kind in the arrangement of household gods, and long ere the February dusk had fallen, the fifth floor of Patamore had assumed a certain homeliness. True, much of the old iron as he termed the coppers and brasses for which Max had bartered in the Rue André de Sarte, still encumbered the floor, and most of the windows cried aloud for covering. But the little salon was habitable, and in the bedroom once occupied by Madame Salas, a bed and a dressing-table stood forth, fresh and enticing enough to suggest a lady's chamber, while over the high window white serge curtains shut out the cold. At seven o'clock, having torn the canvas wrappings from the last chair, the two workers paused in their labours by common consent, and looked at each other by the uncertain light of half a dozen candles stuck into bowls and vases in various corners of the salon. "'Boy,' said Blake, breaking what had been a long silence, "'I tell you what it is, you're done. "'Take a warm by the fire for a minute while I tub under the kitchen tap. "'Then we'll fare forth for a meal and a breath of air.' Max, who had worked with fierce zeal of little knowledge, made no protest. His face was pale, and he moved with a certain slow weariness. "'Here, let's test the big chair.' Blake pulled forward the deep leathern armchair that had been purchased second-hand in the Rue de la Nature, and set it in front of the blazing logs. Without a word, Max sank into it. "'Comfortable?' "'Very comfortable.' The voice was a little thin. The other looked down upon him. "'You're done, you know. Literally done.' "'Why didn't you give in sooner?' "'Because I was not tired, and I am not tired.' "'Not tired, and your face is as white as a sheet. "'I don't believe you're fit to go out for food.' "'How absurd! You talk as though I were a child.' Max lifted himself petulantly on one elbow, but his head drooped, and the remonstrance died away before it was finished. "'I talk as if you were a child, do I? "'Then I talk uncommon good sense. "'Well, I'm off to wash.' "'There's some soap in my bedroom.' The voice seemed to come from a great distance. The elbow slipped from the arm of the chair. The dark head drooped still more, and as the door shut upon Blake, the eyelids closed mechanically. Blake's washing was a protracted affair, for the day had been long and the toil strenuous. But at last he returned, face and hands clean, hair smooth, and clothes reduced to order. "'Sorry for being so long.' he began as he walked into the room. But there he stopped, his eyebrows went up, and his face assumed a curious look, half amused, half tender. "'Poor child,' he said below his breath, and, tiptoeing across the room, he paused by the armchair, in the depths of which Max's slight figure was curled up in the pleasant embrace of sleep. The fire had died down, the pool of candlelight was not brilliant, and in the soft shadowed glow the boy made an attractive picture. One hand lay carelessly on either arm of the chair, the head was thrown back, the black lashes of the closed eyes cast shadows on the smooth cheeks. Blake looked long and interestedly, and his earliest impression, the impression of a mystery, flowed back upon him strong as on the night of the long journey. The beauty and strength of the face called forth thought, and Max's own declaration, so often repeated, came back upon him with new meaning. "'I am older than you think.' For almost the first time the words carried weight. It was not that the features looked older. 
If anything, they appeared younger in their deep repose. But the expression, the slight knitting of the dark brows, the set of the chin, the modelling of the full lips, usually so mobile and prone to laughter, suggested a hidden force, gave warranty of a depth, a, a strength irreconcilable with a boy's capacities. He looked, puzzled, attracted. Then his glance dropped from the face to the pathetically tired limbs, and the sense of pity stirred anew, banishing question, causing the light of a pleasant inspiration to awaken in his eyes. Smiling to himself, he replenished the fire with exaggerated stealth, and, creeping out of the room, closed the door behind him. He was gone for over half an hour, and when he again entered, the fire had sprung into new life, and fresh flames, blue and sulphur and copper-coloured, were dancing up the chimney, while the candles in their strange abiding places had burned an inch or two lower. But his eyes were for Max, and for Max alone, and with the same intense stealth he crept across the room to the bare table, and solemnly unburdened himself of a variety of parcels, and a cheery-looking bottle done up in red tissue-paper. Max still slept, and, drawing a sigh of satisfaction, he proceeded with the task he had set himself, the task of providing supper after the manner of the genius in the fairy tale. First plates were brought from the Newfield kitchen shelves, then knives were found and forks, then the mysterious-looking parcels delivered up their contents, a cold roast chicken, all brown and golden as it had left the oven, cheese, butter, crisp rolls, and crisp red radishes, Finally, a little basket piled with fruit. It was a very simple meal, but Blake smiled to himself as he set out the dishes to the best advantage, placed the wine reverentially in the centre to crown the feast, and at last, still tiptoeing, came round to the back of Max's chair and laid his hands over the closed eyes. "'Guess,' he said, as if to a child. Max gave a little cry, in which surprise and fear struggled for supremacy. Then he sprang to his feet, shaking off the imprisoning hands. "'What is it? Who is it?' Then he laughed shamefacedly, and turning, saw the spread table. "'Oh, mon ami!' His eyes opened wide, and he gazed from the food to Blake. "'Mon ami, you've done this for me while I was sleeping.' His gaze was eloquent even beyond his words, and Blake, finding no fit answer, began to move about the room, collecting the vases that held the candles and carrying them to the table. "'Mon ami!' "'Nonsense, boy, it's little enough I do, goodness knows.' "'This is a great deal.' "'Nonsense. What is it? You were fagged, and I was fresh. "'And now I suppose I must not the head off this bottle, for we haven't a corkscrew. "'The Lord lend me a steady hand, for it would be a pity if I shook the wine.' He carried the bottle to the fireplace, and with considerable dexterity cracked the head and wiped the broad glass edges. "'Now, boy, the glasses!' "'Oh, but we have glasses, though.' His face fell in a manner that set Max laughing. "'We have one glass in my room.' "'Bravo! Fly for it!' Max laughed again. His sleep, his surprise, his gratitude equally routed. He flew, in literal obedience to the command, across the little hall, and, groping his way to the dressing-table, searched about in the darkness for the tumbler. "'Ned, a candle!' Blake brought the desired light and together they discovered the coveted glass. Max seized upon it eagerly, but as he delivered it up a swift exclamation escaped him. "'My God, how dirty I am! Regard my hands!' "'What does it matter? You can wash after you've eaten. Oh, but no, I pay more compliments to your feast.' 
Very well, then. We may hope to stop in an hour or so. I know you in the making of your toilet. Impertinent? Max caught him by the arm and pushed him, laughing, towards the door. Go back and complete the table. I would delay but four, three, two minutes in the making of myself clean. But the table is complete. It is incomplete, mon ami. It is without flowers. Before Blake's objections could form into new words, he found himself in the little hallway with the bedroom door closed upon him. And, being a philosopher, he shook his head contentedly and walked back into the salon, where he obediently brought to light the bowl of jonquils that was still perfuming the air from its dark corner, and set it carefully between the wine and the fruit. Ten minutes and more slipped by, during which, still philosophical, he walked slowly round and round the table, straightening a candle there, altering a dish here, humming all the while in a not unmusical voice the song from Louise. He was dwelling fondly upon the line, Depuis le jour où je me suis donné, when the door of the bedroom was flung open as by a gale, and at the door of the salon appeared Max, his dark hair falling over his forehead, a comb in one hand, a brush in the other. Mon cher, a hundred, a thousand apologies for being so long. It is all the fault of my hair. Blake looked at him across the candles. Indeed, I wouldn't bother about my hair if I were you, or a century of brushing wouldn't make it respectable. Why not? Look at the length of it. Ah, but that pleases me. Blake shook his head in mock seriousness. These artists, these artists, he murmured to himself. Max laughed, threw the comb and brush from him into some unseen corner of the hall, and ran across the sunnel. You are very ill-mannered. I shall box your ears. Blake threw himself into an attitude of defence. I'd ask nothing better, he cried. Come on, just come on. Max, laughing and excited, took a step forward, then paused as at some arresting thought. "'Afraid! Oh, la, la! Afraid!' "'Afraid?' the boy tossed the word back scornfully. But his face flushed, and he made no advance. "'You'll have to now, you know,' Max retreated. "'Oh, no, you don't!' With a quick, gay laugh touched with the fire of battle, Blake followed. But ere he could come to close quarters, the boy had dodged and and lithe and swift as a cat was round the table. "'No, no!' he cried, with a little gasp, a little sob of excitement that caught the breath. "'No, no! I demand grace! A starving man, mon ami! A starving man! It is not fair!' He knew his adversary. Blake's hands dropped to his sides. He yielded with a laugh. "'Very well, very well. Another time I'll see what you're made of. And now we'll exterminate the breadstuffs, as McCutcheon would say. And—' laughing, jesting, content at the moment for the moment's sake. They sat down to their first serious meal in the little salon. End of chapter 13